Well, good evening, everybody. Um, welcome to this time this evening. I'm putting together a few thoughts uh, for our meditation on Easter Sunday evening on the subject of the resurrection. So um, I'm Philip Wells, and uh, I'm one of the elders at Calvary, and welcome to this time together. So let's pray. Lord, we've had many things to think about this week and we have this overarching, wonderful deed of your almighty Son who died on the cross and rose again from the dead on the third day. And we pray that we might think most highly of him and most highly of what he's done. So please focus our thoughts and make them edifying and fruitful this evening, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So what I'd like to do now is uh, ask us to listen to Ruth's reading that she read this morning from 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, let's hear the word of God together. I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 1 to 28. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. 
If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. So I'd like us to think this evening about the general way in which the New Testament understands the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how we are to understand it. And the more you think about it, uh, the more you realise that it's a vast, vast subject that uh, has many connections. If you were to take the resurrection out of New Testament teaching, whole sections would just shrivel up and collapse. So I, first of all, like you to think that the resurrection is not just a thing in itself. It is um, connected in three particular ways. So these are fairly general. So the first is this. The resurrection is always seen as part of a bigger process. It isn't just a thing in itself, it's part of a bigger process. Uh, theologians call it the exaltation of Christ. That is to say, his resurrection from the dead is linked to his ascension into heaven. And his ascension into heaven is linked to his enthronement in heaven. And his enthronement in heaven is linked to his reign in heaven. And his reign is linked in due course to his coming again. So it's part of a bigger process. So that's the first thought to have in mind. And we'll pick up on that as we go through. The second thing to have in mind is that the resurrection of Jesus isn't to be seen as just something that affects him. It does affect him. He is the author of salvation. But the resurrection is seen uh, as something in which he affects other people. In other words, what would say the corporate implications uh, and this is to do with Christ's union with us. What he did, he didn't do just as an individual. He did it for us, including us, affecting all his people. Uh, and this is the New Testament teaching of Christ's union with his people. 
not just him, but him and his body. So you have teaching like the, the ones in, um, in John's Gospel where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the, you know what he, he's going to say, you are the branches. And he talks about the branches abiding in him. Or it's the same sort of thing as we get in the New Testament when Jesus is shown to us as the bridegroom and his union with the bride, rather in the way that when um, man and a woman get married together, they share their fortunes. Uh, all, what does it say? With thee my worldly goods I do endow. Um, there is a union and a sharing of property and of benefit. And uh, this is Christ and his people. You get the same sort of thing in the teaching of the head and the body. Christ is the head of the church. The church is his body. So that's the second thing, the corporate implications. And the third thing is time scale. So Christ rose from the dead uh, 2,000 years ago on Easter Sunday, what's now called Easter Sunday, and that happened all those years ago. But what happened then will affect us in due course. There is a sense in which we're tied to him across time, so what he did then will surely, in due course, affect us in the fullness of time, the sort of order to it. And we'll see that in, in a few moments. What he did then uh, will affect us in the future. It also affects us now. And we'll see that. So the, those three general thoughts, that's part of a bigger process, that it has corporate implications, implications for other people joined to Christ, and that there's a whole thing about time scale. So let's look at some texts together. And uh, seeing as... This is done by computer. You have the opportunity to pause. And if you're with uh, other family members, you might like to discuss with them or you might like to just have a little think yourself uh, as we read, read some text. So the first text I'd like us to read is Psalm 110. So you can press pause if you're trying to find Psalm 110, but I'll just carry straight on with this. And this is seen as a crucial key text in the New Testament. Psalm 110 of David, a psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And I'll just stop there because the rest of the psalm goes on. I'm very happy for you to read it if you'd like to do that. But I just want to take that first verse because that's, well, what's that saying? It is the Lord addressing my Lord, that's to say David's Lord, in these terms, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It's uh, a statement about the high position of this Lord. It's a statement about his reigning and his ruling. It's a statement about his enemies being put under his feet. So, Hold that thought, because that's going to crop up in a number of the texts that we're going to look at. 
So having held that thought, let's see what uh, it says in Acts chapter 2. So we're now going to Acts chapter 2. And this is uh, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. The resurrection has happened. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. We have the speaking in tongues and something remarkable has happened. And Peter is explaining what it is, what the meaning of it is. Acts 2, 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, by the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So I'd like to stop and think, what is the importance of that word but there? But God raised him from the dead. And if you don't want to pause, I'll go ahead and just comment on it myself. Isn't this God overturning the verdict, the guilty verdict that was on Jesus? They put him to death, but God raised him from the dead. God said, it is not right for that to be the final state of my son. It's not right for him to be left, um, apparently condemned, finished. Um, guilty, forlorn. No, I'm going to raise him from that situation. It's impossible for death to keep hold of him, and God raises him from the dead. I'm going to carry on. Verse 25, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices, my body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and that his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. I'm just going to stop there and say, do you see the connection uh, of the resurrection with the enthronement? It's what I said right at the beginning, part of a continuous process. Verse 30, David foresaw the enthronement, Therefore, therefore, he speaks of the resurrection. His body was not abandoned to the grave. His body did not see decay. God raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God. You see here, we've gone from resurrection to exaltation at the right hand of God. And he has received from the Father 
the promised Holy Spirit. You see, there's another connection, that the enthroned Christ is the Christ who pours out the Spirit on his people. He has poured out what we now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Do you notice where that comes from? That's the Psalm 110 that we read at the beginning. Now we move to the implication of this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So Peter says that this resurrection, enthronement, outpouring of the Spirit is a demonstration, a proof, if you like, an, an assurance of the real, true identity and status of Jesus, that he is Lord in the biggest, most authoritative sense. He is Lord and he is Christ. So uh, you might like to pause again there and say, what is the implication, what's the action point from this? But I'll just go straight on. And the people, in verse 37, say, what shall we do? Because they're the people who shouted out, as far as we can tell, let's assume this, they're the people who shouted out for him to be crucified. And Peter says, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. So there's the first text that I just thought we could look at together. And what's the final action point from that text? Have a, have a little discussion about that. And let me move on and say what I think the action point the action point is to repent and be baptised. The action point is that this Jesus is the Saviour and the only proper response to him being who he is is to turn to him for the forgiveness of sins, to be baptised, to be one of his people, to be saved in other words, to be a Christian, to become a Christian. And... Uh, that's what scripture says about him. Because he's raised, you ought to become a Christian. So that's one text there. Acts 2 uh, that we've read. And I'm going to move on now to another text. So you remember that the three sort of connections I was uh, talking about to begin with were the resurrection is part of a bigger process. The process that the Father does of Christ's resurrection, ascension, enthronement and reign. And then I said it's part of a corporate implication that it affects people other than Christ. And then thirdly I said that something about time scale, that what happened to him will happen to us and what will happen to us affects us now. So let's pick up 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, come in at verse 20, where Paul says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, 
So he, he was going through all the things that would be true if Christ hadn't been raised. And he said, well, that's only hypothetical because he has been raised. Now, listen to what he says. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. And when it says everything has been put under him, it's clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When this has been done, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. So I'm just going to pause there and ask if you spotted anything. You might like to just have a little chat about that. And I'll carry straight on and say, uh, did you notice in verse 25 this bit about putting everything under his feet? Well, that comes from Psalm 110, doesn't it? And we have here a process, don't we? That he's made alive and he reigns until everything's been put under his feet. And then the final end, when everything is put him back to its very correct order, that uh, everything is under Christ and Christ is under God and God is all in all. So there's a... Mm, a, a I don't know that one. So there's a timescale thing going on here. And I just got interrupted, so that has uh, lost my train of thought. There's also a corporate thing going on here. Verse 22, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So those in Christ receive the benefits of what he's done. He's been made alive, and we shall be made alive too. And there's also a timescale thing going on here, because he says there's an order to it. You see it in verse 23? Each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. So I invite you to uh, ponder the, that teaching there in 1 Corinthians 15. There's a whole lot there and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on it. But uh, have a think about that and a little discussion and, and maybe a prayer about the um, what's being said here about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's an action point from this as well. Uh, there's a lot of teaching there. But there's an action point, and the action point seems to me to be in verse 58. And it, uh, verse 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Well, what's the action point? How does that work? He says, this is the, the world, this is the situation, that Christ has been raised He's seated at the right hand of God. You will be raised. There will be a, a world to come, a life to come. And 
with that glorious, wonderful picture in view, what should you do? Well, he says, you should be getting on with the Christian life. Stand firm, he says. Don't get knocked about. Stand firm. You know where you're going. You know what it's, what, what's going to happen. Let nothing move you. Don't be panicked, made anxious, uh, bowled over. Let nothing move you. And be active. Be positive. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because that you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. That's his action point, isn't it? He says, get on, live the Christian life in a positive way. And when he says pos when I say positive way, I mean, don't just wait for people to do things to you. Don't wait for things to happen to you, but give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. That's the action point from the resurrection. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. And I'm going to go to a third text now, which is in Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 7. And again, we're thinking about uh, the bigger process. We're thinking about the corporate implications. And we're thinking about the time scale as it relates to the resurrection of Jesus. So here's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, um, I'm going to go to verse 7. As for you, says Paul, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But God, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And so he goes on. Uh, where uh, He says, uh, not from us yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there's something there about works and, and getting on with the work of the Lord. But uh, let's, uh, uh, let's think about those verses. Are they part of a bigger process? Well, yes. It talks about Christ being made alive or being made alive with Christ. And it also talks in verse, that's in verse 5, in verse 6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So it's not just resurrection, it's resurrection enthronement. And is there anything of corporate implication there? Is it just Jesus or is it him plus other people? 
Well, the answer is there in verse 6, isn't it? God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So what he did, um, sorry, what God did for him included us. And it includes us not only in what will happen in the future, but what how how we how this affects us now he says we have already been made alive with christ verse 5 and we are already raised up with him verse 6 and in some remarkable sense seated with him in the heavenly realms in christ jesus and certainly a future reference so in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in christ jesus so I uh, like might like to stop and just read that again and ask one another what, uh, what they've noticed in, that, in, in those texts. And then I'm going to go on to an action point. So you might like to press pause, but I'm just going to go straight on and say what sort of action point does he have from this? Well, I would say that by the time you get to chapter 4, verse 17, that's where he's, he, he, the rubber hits the road. I tell you this and testify or insist on it in the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. He says in verse 20, you did not come to know Christ that way. You were taught, verse 22, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self. And verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Verse 24, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And uh, we all know what he's saying, don't we? He's telling us to live because of the resurrection of Christ, because of all of that, we are to live resurrection lives now, in, in the sense not that we're superhuman, but that our lives have this quality of holiness and goodness and love and compassion uh, and honesty, integrity and purity that belong to the world of the resurrection uh, rather than the old world. Well, I'm going to stop there. Let me just remind you of, of where I've tried to lead us in these few thoughts this evening. I've tried to uh, indicate to us that the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a great subject. It's linked to, a much, to the bigger process of his resurrection, ascension, enthronement and his reign. That's the scope of it. And I've also tried to say that it doesn't, not just him, but it affects us. When he rose, he sort of took us with him. And I've also said that there's a timescale thing, there's something that is promised for the future and something that affects us now. We looked at some texts and I invited you to mull them over together, which I hope is a helpful sort of thing. And I'd like to close with prayer, which you could perhaps amplify or uh, enlarge on by yourself or 
whoever you're with. So I'd like to pray, first of all, on that action point from Acts chapter 2. And the action point was to turn to Christ. Let's say a prayer to that effect. We thank you for the greatness of Jesus, shown in the resurrection. And please, Lord, don't let us be indifferent to who he is, but have our lives brought into alignment with him, to turn to him, to find forgiveness in him, to give our hearts and lives to him. Amen. And then there was an action point from 1 Corinthians 15, wasn't it? Therefore, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Let nothing, um, let nothing move you. Let's turn that into a prayer. Lord, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, please help us to be strong, particularly in this, in this time of trial and trouble. Help us not to be wavering, tossed around. We are weak, but there is strength in you. Help us to find that strength as we consider uh, the, the resurrection and the future uh, and what is yet to be. Help, help us to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Amen. And then we looked at Ephesians 2 and uh, I was trying to say that there the action point from the way the resurrection affects us is that we should live holy lives. So please may I turn that into a prayer and you could do the same thing at home perhaps. Lord, by your grace, once we were in darkness and deadness, but you have come into our lives and raised us, raised us up with Christ, given us new life. And we earnestly pray that as we fight with sin, we would not be defeated by sin, but the power of your Holy Spirit, your resurrection power in us, would actually be changing us and making us more like our risen Saviour. So we pray that we may have the stamp on us of the world to come, even while we live in this world. Amen. So uh, those are the thoughts. Uh, may God bless us and help us in these days. We need that help, don't we? We need his strength. God bless everyone. Now may grace and mercy and peace be with each one of us from God, who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen.